Well, welcome. Uh, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. And I want to share uh, a, a little report. Uh, if you're new here, um, you're not caught up on this, but we've been uh, doing some reaching out to the Paradise Megalia community. And I wanted to give a quick report. Um, here's a picture. Uh, we did a pastor's couples retreat for the pastors from uh, Paradise and Megalia uh, s- several weeks ago. My wife and I went up. Uh, we had four couples signed up, as you know. We, we put the names out there, and you guys wrote cards, and you did things. Two of the couples had to cancel at the very last minute. In fact, one couple canceled the first day of the retreat because of injury and illness. So we were a little discouraged at first, but we said, okay, God, this is who you sent us. These are the people. These are the two couples that are here. So we're going to minister to them, and we're going to love on them, and we did. Uh, Those of you that wrote cards to the couples that didn't come, we sent them on to them anyway. Uh, So thank you for praying. Thank you for uh, your cards, your gifts. Um, These couples wanted me to pass on to you their thanks and their tremendous appreciation for uh, how you have blessed them and encouraged them. Uh, They were so blown away. Uh, One pastor didn't open his cards until the second day of the retreat because he knew he would start crying. And so he just wanted to wait a day and kind of let it settle in. Um, They thought it was good that we were there to lead the retreat, we who had no uh, uh, firsthand experience in the fires. And so we were like an outside source, an outside ear. And they needed to talk, they needed to vent, they needed to express. I'd say 90% of our conversation was about the fire and the aftermath, and um, we heard... We heard some horrific stories that I I wouldn't repeat publicly. We also heard some funny stories, like there's going to be a baby boom next month. A lot of ladies are pregnant, and uh, they're due to give birth uh, about nine months after the fire and so on. Uh, So I thought that was uh, a little bright ray of sunshine in a dark spot. Um, Probably the most impactful time came the last evening. Dawn Dawn said to me the the next to last day, he said, Chris, we we should wash their feet. I said, ah, yeah, that'd be good. So after dinner, uh, the uh, last evening we were there, we played uh, Twyla Paris' song, How Beautiful Are the Feet of Those Who Bring Good News, and we washed their feet. (laughs) Everybody was sobbing, including me right now. Um, I was washing one pastor's feet, and he was just, he was convulsing with sobs at at the fact that we as a church would reach out to them and bless them like this. So thank you. I thank you. They thank you. We're not done. Uh, we don't know exactly what the future holds. Um, I'm thinking, uh, one of the pastors says, these guys are too exhausted to even uh, get everything figured out so they could get away for a five-day retreat. Uh, and so maybe another year, six months, we'll, we could do something like this again. I don't know. But uh, anyway, there's a report on paradise. If you have any questions, feel free to ask me or my wife. Uh, She's sitting over there somewhere. Um, We'd be glad to give you a firsthand report, Um, but there's some pictures from the retreat. We found this amazing lodge, Christian lodge uh, up in the mountains that just was, they bent over backwards to help us out, gave us a huge discount, Uh, really served us and them well. So let's keep going now. We're in our... Uh, continuing in our Isaiah series. Uh, Shift gears. Uh, I'll wipe the tears. You wipe the tears. Um, We're going to talk about Isaiah now. 
By the way, this, this story from paradise will come up again later in the sermon. But uh, <clears throat> Last week, Christian began this four-part mini-series on justice. Huge theme in the book of Isaiah. And uh, in, in, uh, in that, he explained two sides of justice. There is the retributive side of justice and the restorative side of justice. Retributive justice is God punishing those who have done wrong. That's what we're most familiar with. Restorative justice is God restoring his original intent for humanity. Uh, as bearers of God's image, people have been marginalized, they've been pushed aside, and restorative justice is restoring to them that dignity that they have as image bearers. Uh, the most basic meaning for restorative justice might be to treat people equitably, uh, regardless of their status. Uh, it's a less common understanding. Christian showed that Bible Project video last week, which is very, very helpful. And, and so that's where we're going today. Turn to Isaiah 61. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, the ushers have Bibles. Just raise your hand and they'll be glad to give you a Bible that you can use. Today. You can keep it, take it home with you. Uh, Isaiah 61. Now, what we're going to do is spend the next three weeks, today and two more weeks, unpacking this idea of restorative justice, what it is, how it works. Now, in the Bible, the recipients of restorative justice are most often uh, called the orphans, the widows, the poor, and the immigrant, or sojourners. Sojourners is the word that's often used. Uh, as Christian explained last week, immigrant is probably the best uh, contemporary uh, understanding of that term. Uh, we could call them the marginalized, people who have been pushed aside by society, relegated to a lower social status because of their ethnicity, their gender, their abilities, or numerous other factors. But we need to ask ourselves, who are the marginalized in Simi Valley? Now, we still have orphans, we still have widows, we still have poor, we still have immigrants, but there's far more than those four categories of people who have been marginalized. We could talk about the elderly, the homeless, we could talk about single parents, the disabled, we could talk about those who are childless, those who are unmarried, we could talk about minority ethnic groups or cultural groups, the chronically ill, those who are struggle with depression, uh, those who struggle with chronic pain, all, all of these groups have the potential. They aren't always marginalized, but, but the groups or people within those groups often are marginalized, and it's easy for our society to push them aside. We often don't see their pain, or, or maybe we choose not to see their pain, uh, Maybe we have been marginalized ourselves in some way, so we don't see how others have been marginalized. But repeatedly in Scripture, we see that God has a heart for the marginalized people, uh, especially within the people of God. Those in the Old Testament, those within Israel, uh, there were all kinds of laws in place to take care of the orphans and the widows and the poor and the immigrants. And those within the church in the New Testament uh, time and today. I have no doubt that there are many sitting in this room right here, right now, that have been or are being marginalized for whatever reason. Many different reasons. You've been pushed aside by society. Society looks at you as somehow a lesser social class. 
Well, I want to say that God has a special place in his heart for those who are marginalized. God's heart is for those people. Now, for us, doing justice, imitating God's heart for restorative justice, is working to restore the dignity of the marginalized and causing them to flourish. We, re, we, we work to restore their dignity, their place in society, so that they can flourish. Now, one of the ways that Christian put it last week was that we need to calibrate our consciences according to God's view of justice. Therefore, we need to know his view of justice, and then we adjust our consciences and our actions accordingly. So now, let's look at Isaiah 61. Finally get there. Let me read these three verses, 61, 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now, what is cool about this passage is it is the exact text that Jesus quotes in Luke chapter 4 about himself. He comes to Nazareth, his hometown, it's the Sabbath day, and as was his habit, he went into the synagogue to teach the people. And he stood up to read the scriptures, and let's pick it up in, in Luke 4, 17, it's on the screen. Uh, and, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, and, and what he opened to was Isaiah 61. I don't think they had chapter and verses back then in Jesus' day, but he found it. And he's reading our text this morning. Verse, verse uh, 18 uh, in Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he, Jesus, rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. I love this. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he said to them, today, this scripture, Isaiah 61, has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is telling this crowd of people in Nazareth that Isaiah 61 was a prophecy about him, and he's sitting here today some 700 years later, teaching it as the fulfillment of that prophecy. And what he's saying, in essence, is that Jesus refuses to recognize the socially determined boundaries that create classes of people based on wealth or race or gender or power or any other factor. He came to bring good news to everyone, anyone who comes to him. He healed the sick. He ate with the hated tax collectors. He hung out with prostitutes and lepers. Others may have, others did dismiss these people as unfit, but Jesus revealed his Father's heart for justice for all, especially the marginalized. So we see that God's heart for justice for the marginalized revealed in Isaiah is Jesus' heart for justice for the marginalized revealed in Luke 
And that should be the church's heart for justice for the marginalized demonstrated through each of us. We should demonstrate and imitate God's heart as he had this heart for those marginalized people, so should we. We do this both corporately as a church and the way we reach out, and we do it as individuals, as individual people uh, that, that, that are part of the church. So, so here's, I want to give you this, I'm going to put this slide up here. And this is kind of like the summary statement of everything we're going to talk about this morning. Doing justice, doing restorative justice is imitating God's heart to restore dignity to the marginalized so that they can flourish as image bearers. And, and we, we do that, we start doing that with our own people right here within the body of Christ. People in your small group, people sitting next to you, people sitting in front of you and behind you. And then it, 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 and as we do that, it seeps out to our, our city and our, and our country and the world. Doing justice, this restorative justice, this other side of justice, is imitating God's heart to restore dignity to the marginalized so that they can flourish as image bearers in the world. So how do we do that? What does that look like? Now, I'm going to suggest one big answer, but you can't go home after that one big answer comes up. Uh, because we're going to unpack it, we're going to expand it, we're going to explain it, um, we're going to walk through the text of Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, and see all the different aspects of this. But, but I suggest that if there's one thing, if you want to write something down, if, you, if you're the kind that puts sticky notes on your computer, or, or three by five cards on your mirror in your bathroom, whatever, you know, any of that, this is what you want to write down right here. This is how we do justice. We enter in. Enter into people's lives, enter into people's pain, enter into people's situations. We enter in. Now, we're going to unpack that with a lot of sub-answers. But this is, we're going to keep coming back to this idea of enter in. Profound, isn't it? Like, you were hoping for something really, oh, I think this is huge, though. I think we miss so many, I know we miss so many opportunities to enter into people's lives. All right, let's go. Six answers to how we imitate God's heart and, and do this entering in. Uh, right off the bat, in chapter 1 and verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. First of all, we will never do justice. We will never cause the marginalized to flourish. We will never restore dignity to those who have been pushed aside, apart from and without the power of the Holy Spirit. He has got to be at work within us. This is nothing we do uh, because we have good intentions or because I feel like I should. This is something that the Holy Spirit has got to work within us. And those who are or have been marginalized will never get past the hurt and the bitterness of that without the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, when Jesus quotes this, and when Isaiah writes this, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me to do all the things that follow. Entering into people's lives can be exhausting and it can be costly. We're going to talk more about that next week uh, and take the whole, the whole week on that. But we've got to enter in in the power of the Holy Spirit. Second answer is because the Lord 
has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. This word poor could, could refer really to any of the marginalized, people who are poor or marginalized in any way. Jesus was anointed. When he, when he quoted this about himself, he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the marginalized. He was bringing the gospel message of salvation to all people, but it seemed like especially to the marginalized. Restoration of dignity for any person, any people, starts with heart transformation, change of the heart, and only the gospel can change the heart. Only, only when we realize that we're sinners and helpless on our own and we need a Savior, and Jesus is the only Savior, and, and we invite him in to transform us, only then will transformation take place. And we'll begin to understand our identity in Christ and who we are. And, and we can get past the identity of being marginalized or, or grouped together with some kind of a marginalized group. Now, Jesus was, was anointed to bring good news to the poor. He, he, we, we take the gospel out, but that doesn't mean we ignore poverty or all the other issues that, that cause people to be marginalized. But the primary way that we bring justice to the marginalized is by bringing the good news of the gospel to them. We have a good friend who was a missionary in the Philippines, mainly working with impoverished people. When he, when he went to the field the first time and started out working, his, his goal, he, he saw lots of needs, but he realized what people really need is the gospel, which is true. Their lives will never be changed if they don't have the gospel. And so that was what he did. That's what he worked on. And then as time went on, he realized they don't really listen to the gospel message if they're hungry. And he realized he needed to do more. These people had no work, no jobs. They had little food, truly marginalized. And so as they thought through this, they realized we need to do more than just share the gospel. That's first and foremost and primary, but we need to do more. And so they began a, a rice exchange uh, to provide food and to provide jobs. They entered into the poverty of these people, created ways to relieve their poverty while restoring their dignity to work all the time for the purpose of sharing the gospel. That was still the primary goal. Just as Jesus was anointed to bring the good news, uh, primarily, first and foremost, so are we called to make disciples. That is our primary calling but we don't ignore the needs of people either. The verse continues, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Now Isaiah changes the verb here. Uh, Jesus was anointed to bring good news, but now it says he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Isaiah says, said, he has sent me, I have been sent. Jesus claims this. He says he has been sent. And we as God's people, Israel was sent. And now we, the church, are sent to do the next several things that we see in our text. This is our calling. This is what we're supposed to do. This is what, this is what we're sent to do. The brokenhearted here are those who are so broken by life that they have no more heart to try. Their circumstances are so heavy that they've given up. Don't raise your hands. Would anybody relate to that? Anybody ever feel that? Okay, raise your hands. <clears throat> I don't want to be the only one. I mean, 
man, we've all been brokenhearted. But I think there's a group of people that, that, that are just so beaten down and so brokenhearted and, and, and their circumstances are so heavy, whether it's poverty or relational dysfunction or whatever, whatever it is, that they've given up. And, and, and I would say they're part of the group we call marginalized. So how do we bind up the brokenhearted? Isaiah says we are to bind up these people. Well, the word bind up is used for putting on bandages. It's, it's a medical term, uh, restoring a wound. And so we're to come alongside those people that are brokenhearted and beaten down, and we're to put medicine on that wound. We're to enter into their pain and their situation to, to help medicate. Galatians 6.2 says that we're to bear one another's burdens. We are doing restorative justice when we come alongside one and help carry their burden. We enter into their suffering and their situation. That's what Cornerstone is seeking to do for the Paradise Megalia communities and the pastors. We, we, we wanted to. We, the, they were brokenhearted, and we wanted to bind up, and we wanted to step in. We weren't sure how, so we just started. Uh, several of us went up, uh, I think, in March and put on a luncheon. Cornerstone paid for the luncheon, got the word out. 40, over 40 pastors came to that luncheon. And we thought, well, did that do any good? And afterwards, we were standing around talking, and one pastor said, don't discount the ministry of presence. You guys were here. You came up. You spent a day. You spent money. You, you, you were here. That's binding up the brokenhearted. That's entering in. We drove around the community. We saw the devastation. We entered in. And then we began to realize, you know what? The, the, the pastors are so exhausted. Let's do something for the pastors. And so we offered this retreat for the pastors to rest. Many of you entered in by writing cards uh, these couples told us that, and we, we know no names or anything else. Some of you probably wrote really lousy cards, but, but um, they were blown away by what some of you, maybe all of you, I don't know, said in your cards. You entered in and, and bound up their wounds. They're, they're a little bit healthier because we did this. But every one of us can do this every day. There are people all around us. There are people in this room who are brokenhearted and need binded up, bound up. No, that's, that's, that's bad. Um, that need medicated, that need help, that need us to enter into their lives and encourage them. Look for ways to do it. Dawn was in a, a grocery store this week, and she was watching a mother struggle with her groceries and her toddlers and her baby and those of you in that situation know what kind of struggle that is. And, and Dawn just went up to her and touched her shoulder, looked her in the face, and smiled. That's a simple way. Dawn doesn't have the ability to pick up babies and start hauling groceries. Let me change that diaper for you. But, but she did what she could. She touched her. I see you. I see that you're struggling. No idea how that encouraged that young mother that day. 
So ask the Holy Spirit as we walk through life, as we walk through our daily tasks at work and ta- uh, tasks at work uh, in stores, who needs a touch? Who needs a look? How can I help bind up someone who's brokenhearted? Isaiah goes on. We are to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, Isaiah here is making allusion to the year of Jubilee. Uh, the word liberty and then the, 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 word, the phrase year of the Lord's favor have reference back to this amazing institution that God designed for the nation of Israel called the year of Jubilee. Part of the purpose of the year of Jubilee was to maintain justice within the society. Every 50 years, there was to be a year of no work. Doesn't that sound good? Let's have a year of Jubilee. No work for the next year. Um, And it's even better. All debts were canceled. Does that resonate? Um, Slaves were allowed to return to their families. Any land that had been leased or sold, uh, often due to poverty, was restored back to its original owners. No one could become filthy rich at the expense of the poor and the orphan and the widow. Jubilee would release people from slavery, return them to dignity and their rightful place in society. It was a complete start over and redo for, for this whole society. And when Isaiah says we proclaim liberty to the captives, when he says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the idea is we minister to the marginalized people in our society by declaring freedom to them, by helping to restore freedom back to people who are in bondage. Let me suggest there is so much slavery and bondage right here in this room. Apart from Christ, all of us are slaves to sin. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing but sin. And so we we need freed from, that's why the gospel, that's why the good news is the first thing we do, the first, the primary thing we take to the marginalized, because until you, until Jesus is your savior and, and frees you from your sins, we just, we just sang, it is well with my soul, my sin, oh the bliss of the, it's glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, don't stop there, because that's, not glorious at all your sin, it's nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. That's freedom. Gosh, you guys awake? Are you hearing this? Man, freedom, that sin is gone. It's removed and that's where it starts. But there's still bondage. Even for followers of Jesus, there's bondage to addictions, there's alcohol, there's drugs, there's pornography, there's depression, there's mental illness, there's, there's materialism, there's legalism. These things are like a ball and chain around our lives and they drag us down. There's physical slavery all over the world. I did a quick Google search this, this week on, on slavery. It's like, whoa, that's sobering. Human trafficking, forced prostitution, child slavery. There is bondage and slavery all over the place. God's heart is to free those who are in bondage. When Jesus was on earth, he freed so many people from bondage. Bondage of illness, the bondage of blindness, the bondage of demon possession. And so doing restorative justice is entering into people's lives where we can work to free them from their bondage. We can 
enter in and come alongside. It might mean walking with a man or a woman to free them from the bondage of pornography. You know it as well as I, pornography is an incredible slave master. And it's destroyed more people and lives and marriages than, than we know. Maybe it's volunteering with, a, with an organization like Forever Found. Forever Found, uh, quote, exists for the prevention, rescue, and restoration of child trafficking victims. Slavery, bondage. Maybe it's providing a job for an ex-con or a homeless person so they can get out of the economic bondage of their life situation. There's so many other ways. Again, look around, ask the Holy Spirit to show you who, what, where, how. Little things, big things, there's all kinds of ways. Let's just learn to step into, enter into people's lives. The fifth answer for what it looks like for us to imitate God's heart is in, the, is in uh, verse 2. To proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. Now, this hints back at retributive justice. Uh, it's an interesting part of this text. It doesn't seem to fit at first because the rest of the text is all about restorative justice. But retributive justice, which is the punishment of evildoers, is a big part of God's restoration to the marginalized. God is the only one who punishes evil, but man, we want the wicked to suffer, don't we? Don't we? I was reading Psalm 59. Read Psalm 59 when you go home today. David's all about the wicked just getting nailed. I mean, take him out, God. Don't you love it in movies or stories when the bad guys get it? Sometimes Don and I are watching a movie or a TV show, and we start yelling at the TV, get him, come on, take him out. If you don't take it, he's going to come back and do it again. Just, just get rid of him. And I look at her and go, oh, was that out loud? <laughs> that doesn't seem very Christ-like, does it? To... But we want the bad guys to get it, don't we? I think that's innate. I think that's built into us. But Isaiah is teaching us that part of our restoration to dignity is to wait for God to take vengeance. Let him do it, because it's coming. And there's hope in that. And it's God's role, not ours. It may not relieve the poverty. It may not relieve the slavery. It may not relieve the marginalization at the moment, but it can still be a great hope to know that the day of vengeance of our God is coming. And all justice will be done. Retributive justice will be done. Restorative justice will be done. Everything will be set right. Man, that's an encouragement. Let me go to Isaiah 35 to see this where Isaiah writes, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. There's restorative justice. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Those people that are struggling, come alongside, enter in. And then say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance and the recompense of God. He will come and save you. So there's retributive justice and restorative justice right there. Now, I know there's people in your life and my life who have caused untold pain, who have said stupid, insensitive, awful things. 
who have done things that have increased your marginalization, have pushed you further out to the, the fringes of society. And I know it makes you angry and it, and it hurts. And, and some days we feel like David in Psalm 59 where we just want him to get it. But God's word of encouragement, God's word of comfort, God's word of hope is this, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. Wait for him. The sixth answer in our text in verse 2 as to how we do justice and restore dignity is that we comfort all who mourn. Now, mourning here means suffering from the heaviness of despair and hopelessness. It's a depression. It's feeling of not being able to get out of bed in the morning. Anybody feel that, like, every morning? Um, but there's some who, like, it's worse. And it's this heaviness of despair. It's this hopelessness. There's no way out of this solution. Uh, I could think of a time in our lives in the last while where we were, I, I literally looked at Don and says, we have no options. The status quo is unsustainable and there's nothing we can do. We have no options. It was a, not a good feeling. Obviously, God got us out of that. There were options. We didn't see him at the time. But that's very hopeless. And that's being marginalized. That's being pushed to the, to the outer fringes of society. Comforting those who are mourning is entering in and giving them hope. Enter into their lives. It's, it's, it's going over to their house and cleaning it for them because they're too weary and too depressed to do it themselves. It's listening to them, letting them tell their story again and again. A few years ago, we were in this situation this person had been through a terrible trial and needed to talk and talk and talk and talk and told us the same stories over and over again. We, we, I, I literally had to go uh, that evening and I spent some extended time in prayer for God, I need patience. We need understanding. This is, this is hard. But that's entering in, letting them talk. It's being there. It's being present. It's stopping by. It's showing up. It's saying hi. It's asking questions, even if it's awkward, and even if you don't know what to say. It's, it's entering into another person's world and life. What, what Todd did earlier in the service is just a, just a beginning snapshot. I know in, in four minutes we can't really get deep into a person's life, but we can look into their eyes and say, something's not right. Let's talk later. Let me enter into your world, see what's going on. Comforting those who mourn might mean you invite somebody to come in and live with you for a while. We had a young lady live with us for several months. He was, she was battling bulimia, eating disorder, and she needed to be in a setting where she could be watched. And so she moved into our home for a time. If you're a business owner, maybe it's providing jobs for the marginalized that no one else will hire, giving them a a chance, restoring dignity to them. 
Maybe it's providing space in other ways. I recently read an article about the owner of a, of a Wi-Fi company in Texas. He needed to expand his offices, and he'd been challenged by the Old Testament laws of gleaning. This idea that, that whenever you uh, harvest your fields, you leave a little bit for the poor to come and, and harvest it. And actually, what was left behind wasn't even yours anymore. It belonged to the poor. But it allowed them to work and, and, and keep their dignity but still eat. And he'd been studying these, these gleaning laws, and he was challenged and decided when they expanded their offices, they were going to build a couple extra offices and then set them aside like, like a gleaning concept. And a ministry that's working to stop human trafficking moved in rent-free and now bases their ministry in one of those offices. That's entering in. Comforting the morning could be as simple as having a conversation with someone who's different than you. Different skin color, different language, different culture a disability of some sort, different marital status, entering in. We, 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 we so quickly cling to our common group and people that we know and that we understand. We don't want to get involved in somebody that we don't, we don't know their world, and so let's just stay within our group. It's being tuned into others' needs. There's there's all kinds of marginalized people sitting right here in this room. We don't have to look hard to find them. Now, here's a few ways not to enter in. Don't try to fix it. Husbands. I'm sorry, is that out loud? Uh, don't try to fix it. That doesn't mean we don't work for solutions to these big problems. But don't start offering all kinds. Oh, well, you know, why don't you do this? And why, you don't have a job? Well, go down to the employment center and just, just listen. Just enter into their pain. Don't try to cheer, cheer them up with, with tired platitudes either. Oh, God's in control. They probably already know that if they're a follower of Jesus. Everything will work out. And then you just walk away. That's not entering in. Just, just trust God. I've said those things to people. You've said those things to people. Those are true things. But when someone is hurting and grieving and struggling and wrestling, that's not helpful. And don't tell your story, which is so much worse than their story. These are the one-uppers. We're all guilty of one-upping, right? Man, I try hard not to. Don calls me on all the time. It's like, oh, did I do that again? Oh, man. Just listen. If they're hurting and they're sharing their struggle with you, they don't really care about you at that time. And that's okay, because you're there to, to bind them up. You're there to encourage them. You're there to enter into their lives. So here's six answers from Isaiah 61 as to how we do justice. Imitating God's heart to restore dignity to the marginalized so that they can flourish as image bearers in this world. Now, to what end do we do all this? What's the, what's the result of all this? Look at verse 3 in Isaiah 61. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, 
the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Here it is. Someday, someday, those marginalized people that know Jesus as their Savior, and that's why we take the good news, because that's got to be first and foremost, but those marginalized people of the body of Christ will be oaks of righteousness. They will be strong and abundant and stable. The poor will be rich. The blind will see. The imprisoned will be free. The depressed will be giddy with joy. Justice will, be, will reign. There will be no more mourning, no more grief, no more sorrow, no more sadness. This is God's heart to restore us to this condition. We imitate his heart to restore his original intent of dignity to all peoples by coming alongside people and, and moving them toward this ultimate goal. I love that. The, 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 a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. Don't we long for that? Don't we want that? To what end? that he may be glorified. When we imitate his heart for justice, when we enter into the lives of people who've been marginalized, he is pleased, and he is exalted, and he is honored. I want to conclude this morning with a confession. Put your papers and pens away. I see you all wanting to write this down. <clears throat> this whole topic has been a challenge for me. Uh, last spring when we were laying out this series, uh, it, it was all based on schedule and vacations and who was when, and, and I ended up with this block of time having no clue what I was preaching on. And then it came down to, oh, you're going to preach on restorative justice. I don't think I knew what restorative justice was. I'm not sure I even cared what restorative justice was. Now, I've shared some stories. We've done these kinds of things in the past, but it was not with a conscious awareness that this is what's going on. I think Christian shared last week that only in the last year, is that right? Only in the last year has he been kind of tuned into this. So I knew I had my work cut out for me. This is obviously a big part of Scripture. I've read, I've read the Bible numerous times. I've read these verses. I've seen this stuff, the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, the poor, all, all, all the time. But it just never got into my heart, I guess. And so I've, I, I, I started reading books, and I'm, I'm still reading books on this stuff. I'm, I'm studying these texts in Isaiah. And believe me, I could have spent the whole time this morning showing you texts from the Old Testament and the New Testament about God's heart for restorative justice. It's all over the place. If your eyes are open to it, you see it. And I learned that it's abundantly clear that God has a heart to bring restorative justice to the marginalized of the world. And he wants us to imitate his heart, to cause them to flourish, to restore dignity to their lives. 
and to understand that we are marginalized at times and the marginalized are all around us and they're, they're in our presence and it's us. It's not them, it's us. And so my challenge this morning to myself and to you is to be aware. Open your eyes and enter in. You will fail. I had an obvious opportunity to enter in just this week. Totally blew it. After the fact, Dawn said, we should, probably should have. It's like, oh, we should have. So you confess. Claim God's forgiveness and you keep moving forward to enter in. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us truth. Thank you for your heart for the marginalized of the world. Thank you for our, our body of believers, our church, our cornerstone church here in Simi Valley. Thank you that we can minister to one another right here, to those in our neighborhoods and our workplaces. And thank you for those ministries that we support and encourage that go around the world to minister to the marginalized of the world. Father, I pray that we would, be, we would be abundantly aware of entering into people's lives, big ways, small ways, all kinds of ways. Lord, do it. Change us. Transform us. Change us, Lord, from the inside out, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.